What's not to love about American Giant? American-made, jobs for Americans, and they're manufacturing top-notch clothing with that good old American craftsmanship. They're also doing great things with the Rescue 22 Foundation. American Giant came up with this limited edition Rescue 22 classic full zip hoodie to help fund a service dog for a veteran in need. You can snag one on their website, American-Giant.com. American Giant believes that work and building up American manufacturing communities brings purpose, and purpose results in a better product. If you need quality clothing like jeans, t-shirts, and sweatshirts, check them out at American-Giant.com jack and get 20% off with discount code jack at checkout. This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is my friend, Larry Keene. Larry is the Senior Vice President of Government and Public Affairs, Assistant Secretary and General Counsel to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, NSSF. And NSSF, they put on SHOT Show in Vegas. And if you haven't been, I highly recommend it. Now, without further ado, here's Larry Keene. Larry, I'm loving this background. I'm thinking it needs a little something on the sides, maybe a terminal list poster or uh, some cross tomahawks or something to give it a little, you know, but it's looking good. Looking very professional. I should have bought some of my, uh, I should have bought all the books I have. Seriously. My uh, goodness. Yeah. You have them all. You line them up right here. You've got the cases. Hey, there's one you haven't signed yet for me. I got to send it out Which one? No, no. Which one? I think it's the second one. Second one. A little, little, uh, we'll, I'll fix that. Second this afternoon. third one. I'll fix that. I'll, I'll yeah. send you both this afternoon and you can, uh, uh, there you go. Whatever one you have doubles of, you can you hand it to somebody else. Uh, but, uh, I, I consider one of my great, uh, great privileges to get to read the term, the, the, uh, pre edition or the pre launch of uh, the terminal list. You sent me a copy to read and, uh, so that was pretty cool. So. Uh, yep. Yep. I was back in the, back in the day. So that's been since, 2018. So I probably sent you that in 2017, maybe like spring of 2017, maybe around that time frame. But yeah, uh, maybe even before yeah. that, maybe even before that. But uh, it was before yeah. you remember we had you speak at our pack event. Yeah, yeah. I was um, trying to remember what January that was. Was that 2017? 17, uh, 16, 16 or 17? Somewhere in there. You were fairly recently out of the teams and it, and uh, okay, this 17. was the first book. And yeah. Yeah, no, that so, was awesome. That was, yeah, that was one of my first, uh, first ones. I think I over-prepared for that one. Um, you know, going no, you in were, there. I'll tell you what, you were a big hit. That, uh, uh, I still, I hear from industry folks that were there saying, oh, that was really great. That was great. Oh, that's the guy's written all the books. Oh, that's awesome. Like, that, yeah. That's awesome. Well, I hope to make it back. I was so, I really wanted to make it this last year. I and I was so, I was so behind on the writing because there's so much going on with the, the show and scripts for another season and next book and the podcast and the merch and the whole thing. And it's, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's fantastic. But uh, what I really miss is going to, to SHOT Show. I absolutely love it. As yeah, you know, well, I was you're there. Always, you're always welcome. Oh, we had a you. conversation uh, you couldn't make it last year about maybe like I know for the, for Amazon, you know, filming for the next uh, series, 
about maybe doing something at Shot Show. So yep. uh, oh, I was just talking about it the other day. With the, that, uh, but, yeah, uh, I was just talking about it yesterday with the uh, with the uh, the producers, and uh, so we're figuring that side out. It's hard right now because we're figuring out the actual schedule because of the writer strike. Yeah. So we didn't know how long that was going to last. It ended up oh, yeah. lasting yeah. quite a while. So it put us behind by a, a good few months as far as filming for the uh, Ben Edwards origin story. So we're working all through all that right now, but it would be amazing. That's what I wrote in the, an email yesterday to do something at shot. Um, you know, timing wise, they're, they're on schedules, you know, they have a, they have their algorithm yeah. to say when you should launch a, a trailer or a teaser. And then when you start doing things in a lead up to launch and all, all that. So it's, it's really yeah. fascinating. I, I, I love learning all that, but, um, but yeah, I miss it. I mean, I miss being there. And I, of course I was there. I first one I was thinking was 2003, 2004. And oh. I forget which exact, I think it was 2004 maybe, but it was in Vegas and and there, the tactical room was about the size of of this uh, podcast studio right here. And then the next year, yeah, oh, it was changed. not. Yeah, the next year, it was not like that. It was huge. Um, and uh, but it was still that first year I was there. You know, a couple of years into the into the war, it was still more um, uh, camp uh, hunting. He really tied into the sunset of uh, the Clinton assault weapons ban. Right mm -hmm. after that, uh, that segment uh, of the market just exploded okay right and and it also tied into uh you know the, the war and a lot of folks coming back from having served and taking up uh shooting and uh so so the that market just exploded yeah uh and it was the fastest growing segment of the show for a long long time it may still still be we, we actually just learned or put out yesterday that the shot show is now the eighth largest show in the United States. Wow. All the shows that are done. No kidding. It's the biggest, uh, yeah, it's the biggest event, uh, that is done. And now we're over in, um, the Venetian and the Sands, what, what was called Sands now is called Venetian Expo. Uh, the Sands company sold it, but, okay. um, so we're, it, we're the biggest thing they do. We're now across the street. You haven't been to it yet. The, Caesar's Forum across the like huh. across the way the alley, so we're up to like eight hundred and fifty thousand square feet of exhibit space. Jeez. It's never been bigger. That's and, what's and, the uh, what's the biggest uh, show? The is like Consumer Electronics Show is that bigger or what? Consumer Electronics, which goes just a little before us, is the biggest. That takes over the whole town, and then there are some other shows um, that have big footprints, like World of Concrete, I think, and, and a couple of others, but they're like. You know, large machinery that takes up a lot of space. Um, so the shot shows uh, is a big, it's a big deal. It's, and it's so much fun. It's that, the biggest. Yeah. It's a reunion it's a show. Of it's kind in the world. Yeah. And it's a reunion for, for me. I get to see you. I get to see buddies yeah. I serve yeah. with. I get to see people that I've yeah. met at shot show over all these years, first starting off as just genuine friendships. And now I've grown, some have grown into business relationships and, uh, yeah. and not even, yeah. and I shouldn't say business relationships because it's more of, we can help each other because of that past friendship that was just based on on a genuine friendship and this this common thing we yeah. all have in common, uh, which is this this love of freedom and uh, and defending the means uh, to make sure that future generations continue to be free. So there's something that bonds everyone at Shot Show and in this industry that makes it a lot different than any other industries out there. And I noticed that right off the bat from my first time there in 2003 2004, there was something different about these groups, even groups that are 
competitors, even companies that are obviously competitors with similar products. Yeah. There's something that bonds them all together. And then there's always, of course, people in this space, uh, very competitive. And uh, so it just makes everybody raise their game as well. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, a, it, it's a really uh, cool space to be involved in. There's so much passion in this industry, uh, you know, for the Second Amendment, for hunting, for shooting sports. And I mean, people, you know, companies are knocked down, drag out competitors in the marketplace, but, you know, they serve together on our board. They, you know, they know each other. They're, uh, you know, they're close friends. They go hunting together. They go shooting together. So it's really, uh, it's really special. I, I've been privileged you know, to be part of this for, for a long time. So, yeah, I was going to ask, I was trying to think, like, I know I've asked you, um, and, but I couldn't, I can't, couldn't quite remember what was your path into the position that you're, you're in now? Did you grow up hunting and shooting? And then how did you get into, into uh, this no, space? actually? Yeah. It's, uh, so, you know, I grew up, uh, I was born in, uh, the shadows of Belmont racetrack, right? Like you could chip on from my house where I grew up as a, as a very young kid. Um, my dad was a New York City cop. Okay. And um, uh, he was a Korean uh, Marine vet, got the Purple Heart at the Chosen. Um, and then uh, wow. uh, we, we moved out a little bit further out onto Long Island, not very far, seemed far at the time, but mm -hmm. reality was only a couple of miles. Uh, and then, um, you know, I went to college, went to law school. And, uh, you know, what I wanted to do was be a prosecutor, right? Because just coming from the background of a cop family, my mm. uncles were cops, et cetera. Uh, so I worked as a prosecutor for, uh, in New York for a bunch of years. I actually worked, uh, during law school, I worked in the Manhattan DA's office for two years. I, I put myself through law school at night. Uh, and then, uh, and I went to work in Westchester County DA's office, just North of New York. And I uh, worked with Janine Pirro. I had a big case in front of her when she was a judge, a big white collar organized crime case that I prosecuted. And then uh, I worked for her for a short time. And then I went into private practice at a boutique product liability firm. So I was uh, got all of its, basically all of its work for an Italian insurance company. So I started representing Italian manufacturers and then I started working on the gun cases. So I became Beretta's product liability counsel in North America for a bunch of years. I represented Uberti, Parazzi. I had a couple of cult cases. Uh, and uh, so that I, I got involved in sort of some of the political litigation that was going on that were being filed against, in that case, Beretta. It was a big case in Brooklyn, New York, in federal court called Hamilton, which was sort of the precursor to all of the industry litigation that took place in the, you know, the municipal lawsuits. Um, and then so uh, NSSF, which is the industry's trade association at that time, like 1999, 2000, uh, by its charter, couldn't do any um, lobbying or government relations work. But uh, with the onslaught of litigation against the industry, chiefly the handgun manufacturers by all these Democrat mayors across the country uh, in, in sort of a, it was sort of an alliance between these Democrat mayors, big city mayors with big crime problems in their cities. These plaintiffs lawyers that uh, were involved in the tobacco litigation mm. back in the nineties, but had bet wrong in tobacco. They didn't, 
uh, become part of the settlement between tobacco and the state's attorney generals. Mm. Uh, and so they didn't get a big payday. So they were looking for a payday. And then uh, the gun control groups, which at the time was just, um, it's now called Brady United. They've changed their name along the way. Mm. So um, NSSF became the coordinating hub of um, the industry defense. Um, and so and NSSF had been named as a defendant in most of those cases. So I came on uh, as the first general counsel to sleepy little NSSF, which you know, maybe had, I don't know, under 20 people, I think, at the time in 2000. Yeah, okay. And now we're 55 something people. So, uh, you know, became really just as litigation, okay. dealing with that and helping to coordinate the, all of the national counsel that were defending the companies and the general counsels and and then starting to work on you know on, on legislative solutions to the litigation as well as as well as fighting the cases so um so you know um, started doing that and then next thing you know 23 years have gone by yeah so or, or more than 23 years so Jeez. so you'd only been there for three or and four years by the time i showed up at uh at shot show with my with uh, another yeah, buddy of mine yeah. wandering around there checking everything out saying oh my gosh this is an amazing or uh, organization oh, it was a lot smaller than that it was different you could less. probably see most of it uh now you could spend the whole the whole week there and not see everything even if you had yeah. a good plan and there's just there, there's no yeah. possible way to see every single booth. I don't think. I mean, I might be wrong. Someone can tell me below. You, in the uh, we have these. I don't have them handy, but they, you know, you if you went to every single booth at the show, you could spend like a couple of seconds, like under yeah. well under a minute <laughs> at everyone and to make it to, to every everyone. single booth, right? It's you know, we have all these apps. You have to plan the show, you know. So people get us. Oh, can I go to Shot Show? And it's Sorry, it's not open to the public. It's not a consumer show. It's just a, a B2B uh, show. But we obviously have a lot of military mm -hmm. law enforcement, both U.S. and, and foreign yeah. military and law enforcement that buyers that come. And obviously a lot of, you know, all the armed uh, uniform branches are there. Um, you know, the SEALs are there. You know, uh, you know, all the SOCOM is there. Oh, yeah, it's There's a great reunion. Separate budgets, you know, yeah. yeah. I know some so, people that uh, just go now and don't even go in. They just hang out in the bars outside and yeah, uh, just yeah. for the reunion, shake hands, yeah. say hello. I mean, it's yeah. so big that you can do that and have an amazing time, catch up with people. Um, and it's exactly. just uh, the whole thing. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, I love the reunion aspect of it. That's what I like. And I love the camaraderie and I love the connection um, uh, and, and, and reconnecting with people you haven't seen in a year or two years or five years, uh, whatever it might be. And then being able to help them along, especially if they're leaving the military or have left for a couple of years. Years and you yeah. can you can open that door, make that introduction, or do do something to uh, to, to to help. Um, and it's just uh, well, and there's amazing. you know I you know I've, I've spoken with some of our mutual friends uh, uh, in Nashville, and uh, when they were on the teams, uh, going in and having meetings with companies and say, well, why don't you turn it this way? Oh you yeah. Know? And the oh, next yeah. year they come back. There and it it's is. Been turned, it's turned. And you know I'm I know exactly about. what you're talking yeah. about. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so, it was it was it's a it was really unique time to be able to go to a place and and meet the not just the 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 senior 
level people, not just marketing people, but the designers yeah. and and uh, and yeah. creators and and sit down with them and say, hey, this is what I was doing in Afghanistan and Iraq, and this part failed. Or you know how you could make this a little better? Or you know what everybody's doing on their own to tweak this uh, is this. And then the next year you come back and lo and behold, that's been made. So it was a really interesting yeah. nexus of uh, you know private governmental. Uh, but it wasn't sanctioned. It was like just guys just did it because we're trying to adapt on the battlefield. Yeah. We're trying to adapt quicker than the yeah. enemy. And uh, by necessity, like, oh, this can help us. Well, then I'm going to go there and I'm going to do these things. And it's going to help us on the battlefield, not just me and my team, but it's going to help other people as well on the battlefield. So it's uh, it was really yeah. a unique time uh, to be involved with uh, in the military and uh, with NSSF. And uh, I think I think just by having that that show and those relationships, obviously, Afterward, it has worked out for a lot of guys as well because it's introduced yeah. them to people that gave them a path into leaving the military into something they love and the space that they know. Um, but it's, uh, it was just such a unique, unique time, and and uh, it was very, very special. I think I have fond, very fond memories of uh, of my time, and I, my, I tried to make everyone. If I wasn't deployed, I would go, and this is on my own, you know, yeah. my, own, my own dime. Guys are going on their own on their own dime in many cases because it was so important to to do that to see this gear and to give those little suggestions and tweaks or see something that you didn't know existed out there because the private sector is innovating quicker than the than the government side of the house and uh, if you had the the ability you could either buy it yourself or they give it to you to test or you could come go back and say hey we need to buy these yeah. for my platoon for my troop for my team and uh, I mean it was it was it really helped the the war effort for lack of a better term yeah we're very proud of that and of course I wouldn't want the audience to get the wrong idea the or an incorrect idea the show is that's a segment of the show there's you know just it's the biggest hunting show in terms of equipment it's the biggest show for footwear it's the biggest show for optics it's the biggest knife show and now archery is in the show as well so i know you'll you really like that oh yeah uh, next time you can make it out yeah so i hope so i was hoping to make it this, show uh, now. this january but i don't know if it's going to happen because of filming schedules and things like that but you know what i also like I like that bottom level. I like because ever up top you have oh, yeah. the names that most people know. Downstairs, they're hungry down there, and uh, and you go down yes, there. That's where down, all the finds are. Yeah, exactly. I love going down there yeah. and walking around because they're hungry, and there's some little little thing that just they don't they don't have the money to advertise, or they don't have a a presence on now social channels or whatever it might be. They don't have enough money to be upstairs front and center, but they're hungry. Yeah. And uh, and I, I like walking walking around down there and checking all that stuff. Downstairs is uh, more crowded than upstairs. Oh, really? These days, for, the for whole the thing audience, seems I mean, pretty the, crowded. Yeah, well, it is. Although adding the Caesars Forum space uh, has helped thin out how crowded the aisles are because it's just, mm -hmm. you know, same number of people, but more square footage. So it's okay. a little more spread out. And frankly, we've been working on trying to improve the quality of the attendee. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we try to like screen people coming to the show. They got to be connected to the yeah. industry and not be you know quote unquote tire kickers and right. so but uh, you know honestly uh, the exhibitors are probably the worst offender of bringing the tire kickers. they bring their <laughs> their frat bro their buddies the you know and their yeah. brother-in-law but um you yeah. know, we also have retailers bringing like their best customers and mm -hmm. so it's kind of a tension yeah. trying to improve the quality and uh because people would complain it's it's too crowded i can't move around i can't get from this booth to the next booth. Yeah. So it's much, I mean, it's a good problem to have. 
You might see that I collaborate with Ironclad on a lot of different projects. In fact, I have worked with them on my book trailers, this podcast, as well as a few other exciting endeavors that are currently in development. Ironclad teams up with some of the biggest brands in the world to create dynamic films, series, podcasts, and ad campaigns. If you are a brand or individual looking to elevate your content or start a podcast, don't hesitate to reach out through their website. This is ironclad.com and make sure you follow them on all major platforms at this is ironclad. The last year was the first real test of it coming out of COVID with the additional space. Cause even, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a show in 21. We had to cancel because of COVID. Uh, so we, we just were able to, kind of sneak in the 20 show right before uh, everything shut down and yeah um, i was there and then, uh 22 uh you know, it was better but it was there was still a little um people holding back risk of covid but now it's the last year was you know yeah back you know, totally back and so we'll be in vegas you know, for the foreseeable future for many, many years, we've got contracts signed out, I, I think through 28. Oh, nice. I, I have a hard time seeing us ever leave yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. It's a great, I mean, it, it's so much fun. People, I mean, people expect it to be there too. Um, you know, some shows can yeah. get away with moving around to different cities and that's part of their thing. Um, but you've got it dialed. I mean, I can imagine how difficult it would be to go to like a different city, a convention center every year, how much additional effort that would take to figure out those floor plans and all of these different convention centers. Oh. Yeah. And there's at this point very few places we conceivably go to. Yeah. Given the size of the show now. And yeah. some of them are just, you know, off limits, like yeah. oh yeah. Couldn't go to the McCormick Center in Chicago for obvious reasons. Plus we gotta be somewhere you know, we have a risk of weather, right? So if you're Chicago in January, you right. have a storm and yeah. so you're in so a good spot. The other places like yeah, Orange County. Uh, Florida and Orlando, but um, we've been there, mm -hmm. but we can't get the, we couldn't get the dates we needed. And uh, we always take a hit on attendance. Yeah. And, you know, Orlando and Disney is just not the same as Vegas. And then we, we survey our attendees and exhibitors every year to get feedback, right? And, and, you know, Nobody wants to leave Vegas. I mean, we hear some people say, I don't like going to Vegas. It's, you, know, you should move. But the reality is overwhelming. Yeah. Then they have a great time when they're there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, it's, it's, uh, and it's so important to what NSSF does. It's, you know, it really is, uh, generates uh, the lion's share of our revenue that supports yeah. all the things that we do. Yeah. Promote hunting, shooting, and, and on the political side, the stuff that I run. So Yeah. Well, in, uh, in 2020, that was one of the last times we all could get together before everything got crazy. Um, and it, I brought my, my publicist out from, from New York. And so he, he couldn't believe it. He was just walking around looking at all this stuff and he couldn't believe just, and I think he said, that, I'll, I'll paraphrase a little bit, but he's like, everybody's so normal. Because if you're not like in that space, if it's, if it's totally foreign to you, and all you read yeah. is that you know, that, you know the, the stereotypes of uh, people that might go to a show like that, uh, and then you go and you're like, oh wow, there's some people in suits right there. There's somebody in, in a flannel. Look at their shaking hands, saying hi. And there's all these different people from all over the world, yeah. and it's just, uh, yeah. It's, it's so so he was he had a, an incredible time. Uh, we all we all had a had a blast. And you know, I met. Um, well, I met Lee Child there, um, and he gave yeah. me some amazing advice years ago before I published 
my novel. And then um, I met Vince Flynn there before he passed away. Yeah. And I got to meet him right. He was signing books and I met him right at the end of the day. So I think what 430, whenever it shuts down um, yeah. and uh, you start leaving. And so people who have been there know that if you're at one side of that show and you're trying to get out, or you're in the middle and you're trying to get out, it could take a couple minutes. And uh, so I was talking to him right at the end of the show. And, and uh, it was, he treated me like, uh, I didn't tell him that I wanted to be an author, but the way he treated me, I'll never forget. And we got, and I, and I got to ask him about term limits, um, his, his first novel. And I asked him if he ever worried about, uh, waking up one morning and turning on the news and seeing that someone had used that book as a, as a template, uh, to, to take some action. And he said every day, I'll never forget that. Wow. And then we got to walk out of the show together. So it got to spend, you know, a half hour, 35, 40, 45 minutes, whatever it took to it's get cool. out to the front, walking out together. So I'll never, uh, never forget that. That was, that was very special. Well, you see, you know, Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, you know, authors, oh, yeah. uh, politicians. Yeah, met a ton of amazing people. Show. Met a ton of amazing people yeah. through the through the show. But that's a that's a week, and that takes a lot of planning. And I'm sure that is uh, you have a, yeah. a team that's just focused on that. Uh, but there's so many other things that that you guys are doing, um, both publicly and then behind the scenes to, uh, to shape the, the environment, to defend freedom for future generations. And I wanted to ask you about what the, what are the, what is the state, when you look at the state of the state of the union, the state of the country, um, and as far as defending the second amendment, what, uh, what do you see right now? We have a recent announcement from the yeah, White House, it's... a new, new office has been created at the White House and what's, um, what's going on when you look at, when you survey your space? Yeah, it's a challenging environment, and I think it just reflects what's going on in the country. You just see the, sadly, the country sort of tearing apart. You have red states and blue states, you know, and uh, we have a very hostile administration of the president of the United States calling the firearms industry the enemy repeatedly, uh, saying, making false claims. Um, and then you have a, an ATF that is pursuing the zero tolerance policy and trying to revoke licenses of dealers. And that, that's frustrating and, and I think misguided and talking to people both inside and retired from ATF, they, they agree that it's, a, it's not a good idea. They're discouraging retailers from cooperating with ATF and you know, retailers are the primary source of information to ATF that leads to illegal firearms trafficking investigations. Mm. If you're a retailer now, and are you going to make that phone call? Because you got to worry, are they going to come in and inspect me and find some mistake and, and you know, revoke my license and put me out of business? Or, you know, people would say, you know, we found a, we made a mistake. How do we fix this? What's the right way to do this? You know, sort of what's known in the law is like, you know, self-reporting. Mm. Well, are you going to do that now? That's going to yield an inspection and you find one mistake and they say it's a willful violation. So it's it's a challenging environment. We see kind of usual list of suspects, states passing more and more gun control measures, even you know, after the Supreme Court decision in Bruin, which is very, very important and a real game changer, you know, just pushing the envelope and and sort of like, you know, like these public places laws, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything, you leave your house, public place, you can't carry firearms, self-protection. So 
those are very challenging. We also have a lot of issues on the sort of business side where banks won't lend to companies, uh, insurance companies won't insure members of the industry, can't use PayPal, you can't use Facebook, you know, um, so uh, there's no shortage of challenges. Uh, you know, what we do the best we can, and I think, you know, we're having more and more success. And um, I know we're being successful because we're getting attacked uh, by the gun control groups, by like every town, which is funded by Michael Bloomberg, uh, put out an attack piece um, a couple of months ago and chiefly aimed at me and uh, including a picture. I tell you, Jack, I was really, really offended by this this report they put out because they use a really bad picture. And I look really fat in that picture. And I'm like, hey, I've come working on, out. I lost some weight. Like, oh, it was yeah. a better picture. Yeah, they're going to make try to make you look and as then, terrible as possible. Right. And now they put up a website called The Smoking Gun and just for regurgitation. It's a, it's a fundraising mechanism, but, you know, it's uh, – it's a backhanded compliment, right? I mean, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think we were effective. They would just ignore us. So that they're yeah. not ignoring us means we're doing a good, good job. And there was a, uh, another uh, uh, story in uh, the Guardian newspaper, which is like an English tabloid, but has a circulation in the U.S. And uh, you know, uh, I had some quotes in there that were just hilarious, you know, about NSSF and. Uh, you know, it was like the best marketing piece we could have ever asked for. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and we, I say, go get a, go get a hard copy of that and frame it and hang it in our, in our office in Washington, DC. Nice. Nice. <laughs> they said we were insidious, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's such a, I mean, it's, it's so polarizing and could you run down quickly um, for those who are like, what's Bruin? Um, uh, Chicago, New York, oh, sure. Supreme court or the, the three, big uh cases over the last uh well now it's been about 15 anyways 2008 yeah, yeah. So, so the first one was uh, obviously the heller decision by the supreme court in 2008 where they uh held or really affirmed that the second amendment provides an individual right to keep and bear arms for self-defense and the people means the individual uh and so that kind of put to rest the argument from the other side that it's uh a collective right or belongs to the militia, not the individual. So a, a seminal case um, on the Second Amendment. That was followed later uh, because I was the in Washington, D.C. Uh, handgun ban, uh, but it only, you know, it only applied to the federal government. So Donald case versus Chicago, the Supreme Court applied the Second Amendment to the states through what's called the, the 14th Amendment. So the federal constitution doesn't normally uh, apply to the states, the restrictions on the federal government. So through the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, um, it, it applied it to the states. Um, what's, what's known as the incorporation doc doctrine. So there'll be a quiz at the end of the show, everybody. <laughs> and then uh, you know, lots of litigation on that about what did, what did Heller really mean? What's the scope and then there was a case out of new york decided in 22 called bruin who was the head of the new york state police at the time and uh there justice thomas writing for the court said that the test you know the right to keep and bear arms includes to bear arms 
as Scalia explained in Heller, means you can carry it outside of the home, not just, it's not a right just cabin to your house, um, but set out the, the correct test for applying the Second Amendment, like you know, history and tradition at the time of the founding up until the time of the 14th Amendment was adopted after the Civil War. And it's not this interest-bearing test where government always wins, you know, so that's really been a game changer. And you're seeing a lot of litigation where courts are saying, you know, um, you know, striking down more and more laws on the basis of uh, Bruin decision, but other courts saying, you know, for example, a couple of courts have said that a magazine is not an arm, it's just an accessory, and it's not protected at all by the Second Amendment. Like, that's like creative. saying, like, yeah. you know, you have a right to drive a car, but tires can be banned because right. they're not part of the car. They're just an accessory. Right. And uh, so, which is a, a really specious argument, frankly, and I don't think it'll hold up. But we, we continue to see, you know, these, these litigations. And now you have the case in California, Duncan, which is headed back to the Ninth Circuit, where the district court judge ruled for the second time, but this time post-Bruin, that, uh, you know, you can't ban magazines larger than 10 rounds, which is a totally arbitrary number, yeah. um, you know, under the Second Amendment. So that's going back. I think that that case is on a quick path back to the Supreme Court in all likelihood. So yeah. at some point, the Supreme Court will take one of these, what we refer to as hardware bans, either rifles or magazines mm -hmm. or both, um, you know, which which uh, will be an important, as you know, modern sporting rifles are by far the most popular rifle being sold in the United States today has been really for a long time. And uh, you know, that market really took off. It, it always existed even going back. The cult started selling civilian versions um, of the AR in 1963. And uh, you know, they weren't really popular, but I think the ban in place for 10 years increased their popularity. Like people, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Why do you say I can't have yeah. that? Like Cohiba cigars. Reality is you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and then you had people coming back from having served overseas that used the rifle, the, the military version, the automatic. Um, and so it just you know took off. And, and so that segment of the show grew. They are, you know, there are now, about 25 million or more uh, modern sporting rifles mm -hmm. in civilian possession in the United States. There are more of them than there are Ford F-150s on the road today. Yeah. And I guarantee you, if you go out of your house and go down to Park City, you'll see an F-150 in about five minutes. Oh, yeah. Right? There's, like, a, there's a couple in the driveway here. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Oh, so I, you I, don't I, even have to go outside. Yeah, yeah I don't have to leave. Uh, I don't have to leave the compound. I like it up here. Um, but, uh, so I had Malcolm Gladwell on the podcast about a month and a half ago. And as part of his podcast, I listened, oh, you did? You, I, you listened to it, listen to that. And then I've listened to the revisionist history. I'm up to, like, I guess the last episode. Okay. Now. 
Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And he, so he sent me all those because he did a, a section of this season on um, uh, on, on firearms. And I really right. like I like Malcolm Gladwell just in general. Uh, I love his writing and, yeah. and I'm, a, I'm a, a fan of his work. But he's certainly no fan of the, the Second Amendment. He's very open about oh, no. that yeah. from, from the beginning. Um, and uh, he's from Canada. And and but I, I just love how he uh, he looks at issues or looks at history and and just uh maybe gives the offers a different perspective and uh i could have a great conversation with him so i was really looking forward to it and i i listened to all those those podcasts and that one that was really interesting is when he sits down with the uh the gun control i forget which which um organization it was and got so angry with him that uh, the guy didn't yes. know what he was talking about and, and they're on the same essentially I, I listen, you know, yeah yeah I, I listened to your podcast with him and then because of that, I went and then listened uh, to uh, the, you know, this series he's done on revisionist history. Uh, and so the person he was talking to was Josh Sugarman um, from the Violence Policy Center, who is the guy who came up with the uh, rhetorical device to call um, ARs uh, assault weapons. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, like, we can confuse the public into believing they're machine guns, and it'll be easier to ban them. Mm -hmm. So I, that, that one was the, I, I mean, I love that one. I was like, wow. Yeah. I was like telling all my guys, you got to go listen to this. You nice. got to listen to this. You got to use this. And so it was really interesting because you're right. Ma I mean, Malcolm says flat out, I I'm a Canadian. I don't think anyone should have guns, you know, and he doesn't like the Supreme Court's rulings. Um and logic, but like, he really did call that guy out. And yeah. like, I remember like, uh, on the pot, your podcast, he was like, you know, can I curse? Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. angry. He was angry. And he told he me, was. he told yeah. me that he, uh, he, he took a bunch out. He took, uh, they didn't air a bunch of that because he was so angry. You yeah. know, they used what they needed to for the, for the show. And each, each episode is about 45 minutes to an hour, typically on, on revisionist history. But, uh, but yeah, he was, it, it was insulting to him that someone that, uh, essentially held his same view of, uh, of firearms would try to take advantage of the ignorance of, uh, yeah. the American populace. And try to and, leverage that. That was offensive to him, and that was really cool that he called that out. Yeah, it was because it is. Uh, you know, here's an interesting fact that uh, people don't know. Josh Sugarman grew up in Newtown, Connecticut, mm -hmm. which is like talk about a small world. Yeah. Like you know, that's where NSSF was headquartered. That's where that horrible, horrible uh, tragedy took place. But. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's just intellectually dishonest and trying to fool people. Yeah, that's um, what offended him. To pass a political agenda. So, yeah. yeah. And so for that well, podcast. I have to say, I, I, thought, I thought Malcolm was a little bit disrespectful to, like, Justice Alito in his podcast. In that first like, episode, you know, first couple episodes? Or yeah, well, yeah, when he's like, yeah, Alito's never been on the New York City subway or whatever. So I thought he was a little disrespectful to justice alito but uh but i've really enjoyed it i'm yeah. I, I got one more to listen to the like it's the last one but with the, it's abdullah, been really enjoyable. Pratt, the abdullah pratt one the one where he talks to the uh yeah. chicago doctor who goes out yeah, and teaches kids how to use uh, tourniquets and and that sort of a thing take on this holiday season with the help of navy federal credit union when you use the Navy Federal Cash Rewards card, you can earn up to 1.75 cash back on all purchases. 
You can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. And using the Navy Federal mobile app makes redeeming easier than ever. Enjoy the rewards of cash back without any annual fee, balance transfer, or foreign transaction fees. There are no limitations on rewards, and they never expire while your account is open. Learn how you can get cheer to last all year with the Cash Rewards card at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, rates are variable and range between 14.90% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Let me tell you about First Form. They have amazing products. My personal favorites are the Protein Sticks and the Micro Factor Daily Nutrient Packs. And why do I like them so much? Because First Form makes it super easy to get quality protein and nutrients on the go. And I always seem to be on the go. While their products are top-notch quality, what I like the most about them are their values. First Form is so much more than a supplement company. They are deeply committed to both American jobs and your personal well-being. At First Form, they value people. In fact, the only thing they've automated is a tape machine, a symbol of their dedication to providing jobs and making lives better. They care about employing people, nurturing their growth, and genuinely improving lives. Their mission is simple. First Form is there to help you reach your fitness and wellness goals. They believe in a partnership where, if you meet them halfway, they'll help you make progress. Go to firstform.com slash jackcar to receive free shipping on any orders over $75. That's one, the number one, S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com slash jackcar. Once again, that's one, the number one, S-T-P-H-O-R-M.com slash Jack Carr, and receive free shipping on any orders over $75. I wanted to have him on last year for the Bomber Mafia, for his book, The Bomber Mafia, because I'm I, yeah. I'd, I'd listened to it, I'd read it, I'm interested in that part of history, obviously, and uh, and then it, it didn't didn't work out to have him on for that book, so now he came on for, for this, and I was like, oh, geez, a lot more preparation needs to be done because... I don't know where this conversation is going to go. And so I was, I had like stacks of papers, like ready to go in case we went down, you know, if we went into this uh, kind of back and forth on, on, uh, on gun control. But I, I, I think it was more beneficial to just show that you can have a conversation with someone, you can respect yes. someone on the other side. Um, and uh, e even if you disagree, especially because it's tough to disagree over something that's, that's so fundamental to the human condition and yeah. a natural right um, to defend your life and the lives of your family members and uh, to keep your, the citizenry free from oppressive governments. Like that's, that's pretty foundational. And so it's not like you disagree oh, yeah. about whether, uh, you know, the latest movie that just came out is good or bad. No, it's different than that. So it is, it is very personal. Um, but even so, so it takes a little bit of effort to, uh, to, uh, to have civil conversations with people that want to take away that most basic of natural rights. So 
Point being, I was ready to go. And I didn't use any of that stuff. We just got to talk about yeah, no. books yeah. and movies. And, and also, we had a great time talking to, to one another and, uh, and talked about the show, I think, in, a, in an appropriate way. And it was just a very natural conversation. But I had no idea where it was going to go. So I had all these all stacks of stuff over here. And I grabbed a couple of them to come in, yeah. come in here um, so we could talk about a couple of the things that I wanted to talk about but didn't get to because of, of time. And we were just having so much fun talking yeah. about other other things. But, uh, but yeah, I think I thought he did a really good job with, uh, particularly that, uh, that episode where he was offended by the intellectual dishonesty of somebody on his yeah. quote unquote side. It was really interesting to, you know, when he talked about it on your show, but then to listen to the podcast where he just calls them out, like, yeah. you know, it's, it was amazing. Yeah. I was shocked. I'm I like, was wow. really shocked when this I listened This is coming to from a guy who like agrees with him, like, yeah. you know, but like, do it honestly. Don't yeah, lie. Exactly. Yeah. I, I thought that was uh, so. I, my my uh, respect for Malcolm Gladwell increased um, because of that. Because um, of that exchange. He's still wrong about the Second <laughs> Amendment, but <laughs> yeah, yes. And I was ready. I was ready to try to bring him over to try to like you know bring him over yeah. with all the stuff I had here. But yeah. uh, so when you talk about you know you're you're so busy doing everything that you do and uh, defending the Second Amendment, um, uh, how much work? Or what touch points do you have with not just defense, but offense? And by that, I mean solutions to um, whether it's yeah. you know, real or not imagined because, you know, these deaths are real. But when you talk about um, schools, let's say, say schools, and as a citizen of uh, 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 the husband with, uh, and a parent with kids that are going to these schools, yeah. if I was a military, let's say, officer in charge of a base, uh, multiple bases, uh, let's say, let's say overseas, and my bases kept getting attacked. People kept walking in and uh, detonating suicide vests, or kept walking on and killing my troops. Um, you know, today might be different than, let's say, in the '40s or something, when people are actually held accountable and not just failing, fail forward and upward. But I wouldn't, pro I probably would not be in that position for very long. Or I could look around. I'd probably be replaced. And then someone would come and look around and say, oh, we should put some guards here. We should put some yeah. security measures yeah. in place to protect this base. Um, and we neglect to do that for the softest targets out there and oh. our most valuable resource. Um, so what are your, do you focus at all on that? Or what are your, what's your, what are your personal thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we, so, you know, NSSF is uh, kind of the leading one of the leading voices, firearm safety education, right? So, um, but we've, you know, we've worked on a number. Of, so we have, for example, Project Child Safe, which has been around since the late 90s. We've distributed, you know, over 41 million firearm safety education kits, including Unlock. Every manufacturer has been providing a lock in the box or locking mechanism for decades. Well, I think I have a bunch of those um, in the trash can over there, by the way. <laughs> but you know the point is it's not about the lock it's about you know, making sure you you know are a responsible gun owner and you know don't leave the gun uh, loaded and laying around accessible to kids or others who shouldn't have access so you know right behind you you have a, a safe right so that's everyone's situation is different but you got to be responsible and then you know, we we work with atf on a number of programs to reduce straw purchasing program called don't lie for the other guy we've been doing that since 99 2000 we are working with atf now on a, a 
an effort called Operation Secure Store to reduce the number of uh, burglaries of gun stores. And mm. you know, they, they, if they burglarize a gun store, they can steal a lot of guns at one time. Um, how prevalent, so how prevalent is that? Fund. It uh, is. It was going up. Uh, it, ATF came to us and said, hey, we, we've noticed a marked increase in smash and grab burglaries and let's work together. And so we have, and uh, we've been able to drive that number down. Um, it spiked in uh, during COVID and in the immediate aftermath of George Floyd, but we're raising awareness to retailers, helping them get um, resources to secure their store, better better display cases, bars in the window, cameras, whatever is appropriate for their store. And when ATF now responds to every single burglary, just you may find this surprising, I did. It used to be the case that if a gun store was burglarized, ATF may or may not have shown up. Now um, hmm. they show up to every single one and they work with the, with the dealer to find out exactly what was stolen work with local law enforcement, they put the word out to other dealers in the area because it's usually a gang and a crew and they'll go around and hit a couple of stores oh, wow. um, in an area in a short period of time and they're stealing guns for the gang. Uh, and those, you know, they hit the street and bad things happen. So, so an ATF offers a reward, we match that reward uh, and, and things like that. So we, we do that. We, we have ATF, you, I'm sure have seen at the SHOT Show, they're the, the busiest booth at the show is the ATF booth. Oh, I, I, I always avoid that booth for some reason. But if dealers want to, you know, like uh, yeah. find out how do I do this? How do I do that? Is this the right way to handle this? You know, they have those conversations. So, oh, interesting. But, you know, on, on the legislative front, you know, one, of, one of our efforts uh, started after tragedy in Sandy Hook, we launched a campaign called Fix Next. And so what we learned was that, and it was really underscored by the terrible incident in Sutherland Springs, where, you know, states and, as it turned out, you know, DOD was not putting disqualifying records into background checks. Mm. Particularly, particularly, it was an acute problem for people like dangerously mentally ill. States were not putting the records in because of state privacy laws. We went and got the law changed in 16 states so that these records, and I'm not, we're not talking the doctor's notes, right? It's just the adjudication, mm. the court record that says this person's been adjudicated. Mm. And that goes into the background check system. So they, and then we learned that the DOD wasn't doing it. And that's how that guy was able to pass background mm. check, even though he was a prohibited person like three or four different ways. So uh, we work with Senator Cornyn to pass the Fixed Nicks Act to require the federal government to get those records into the system. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have that situation repeat. And then to work with the states to make sure they had the resources to get the records into the background check system. Uh, and we're not talking about expanding by any means who's a prohibited person, just, you know, people who are gained, you know, convicted felons or dangerous people or dangerously mentally ill. Nobody wants them being able to purchase a firearm from a licensed dealer. And then on, you know, we we work with Senator Cornyn on some of the language in bipartisan Safer Communities Act, like um, to make sure that there were more, more money for mental health resources, more money for school security, uh, and then coming up with a 
definition uh, for illegal firearms trafficking or for straw purchasing, which has been sort of floating out there. Um, you know, we, we didn't support the bill overall because there were uh, like we didn't like the red flag language. It wasn't adequate to protect due process um, and engage in the as, as we've seen this administration is, you know, totally misinterpreted engage in the business and they've got this proposed rule out there and all of your listeners, I would encourage you to put in public comments on engage in the business because they're, they're trying to basically create universal background checks and registration by trying to sweep individuals who sell one gun, um, you know, that you're now a, a dealer and you have to have a license. And if you don't have a license, you know, you're committing a felony. So it, it's just absurd. Uh, so that's a big issue, but, um, you know, on the school security front, you know, our position, like it's up to the, it should be up to the local community if they have guards in the school, but obviously there's a lot of retired military out there that'd be more than happy to and qualified to do that or retired law enforcement. I I mean, incident occurred in Tennessee. I I was just really kind of shocked that at this point in time, like they didn't have bullet resistant or shatterproof glass that you know, they were, you know, like, like that's how the guy got in Sandy hook. Like how, like that surprised me. I'm like, come on. Like, it seems like an obvious thing to do or to have, you know, security. Like, you have these soft targets, you know, um, you know, these gun-free zones just attract these, you know, the evidence is pretty clear. It tracks, you know, bad guys, yeah. you know, no one's there to stop them. So, I mean, you have your most valuable resource and softest target and continue to do nothing um, yeah. over all these years, both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And it seems like apply common sense, both uh, Carl von Clausewitz and yeah. George Marshall. They thought that the most important attribute of a battlefield leader is common sense. And so if you're to look at yes. this, regardless of, of political leaning and think, oh, look, here's a soft target. Um, what can we do? Uh, to make our kids safer. There's some little things you can do. There are some very large things you can do. There are some things in the, in the middle that you can do, but you can make these hard targets harder. And you, don't tell me we can't do it because it's too expensive. Untold billions to Ukraine. We put a man on the moon. We led yeah. the world to victory yeah. in, in World War II, uh, TSA after 9-11. Um, and uh, you can hope that these soft targets aren't going to get hit again, or you can take some action and uh you can put all these police officers that have to go back and do paperwork yeah. guess where they can do that paperwork they can do it next to a school right there uh they have to park That's somewhere right. to do some paperwork they can go next to these schools so you can just put that presence right there building a new precinct build, guess what put it next to a school building multiple uh, yeah. kind of outstations put them next to schools um you can make it it, or it as wouldn't hard cost as that team. much to hire it yeah it wouldn't cost that much to hire retired military retired law enforcement you know or to, or to have you know um, it, it just seems to me to be common sense. Yeah. Harden and, these targets, apply some, some common sense yeah. to it. It's, uh, it, yeah, yeah it, 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 that, that's the hardest, hardest part. And of course, like you said, the mental health side of the house, uh, we saw from, from the eighties up to today, what's happened with how we treat, uh, mentally ill people in this country. And that's, you know, it's not a, it's not a separate issue. There are, there is overlap. Um, so there are things no, that you can do. Was, yeah. I mean, I remember going all, all the way back to like Tucson and Aurora and being asked by the and like you look and unfortunately it's a long list where 
at bottom, right, these high-profile tragedies almost always involve mental health. And so I've said many times, <clears throat> these events are occurring not because of an absence of gun control or a failure of gun control. It's a failure of our mental health system in the United States. These people do not get the help they need um, you know, before these tragedies occur. I mean, look at uh, the uh, Aurora movie shooting. Parents knew uh, the, the kid was troubled. The counselor in Tucson, the parents said, oh, yeah, he was upstairs talking to himself. You know, they at one point removed the battery from his car so he couldn't go anywhere because they were so worried. So, uh, so and sad. sadly, the list goes on. But just the other day, there was an op-ed in the paper, uh, kind of inside the Beltway political paper called The Hill by uh, the head of the Brady Center and um, a mental health advocate saying that, that uh, mental health is not responsible. It's not the cause. Well, look, there are a lot of causes to crime, but uh, you cannot deny that mental health has been a factor in, in these high-profile shootings. Yeah. And, and even aside from that, we should be taking care of citizens that have these issues regardless. Yes, um, exactly. So, you know, I pulled so there this, was more money, you know, you know, yeah. uh, yeah, no, know that, and there have been other bills. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, yeah. So I pulled this, That's, I pulled these stats. I pulled the, the, uh, the, the crime, just crime in the United States. And so I pulled up the murder victims online. So this is, uh, this is from the FBI here. And so handguns used in murders in 2019, 6,368. Okay. Rifles used in murders, 364. Okay. Knives. And that's rifles of every kind. Yeah, of every kind. Knives used in murders, 1,476. Okay. Blunt objects, hammers, clubs, baseball bats, 397, more than rifles. Yet there is this focus on a rifle um, that really has permeated the debate, for lack of a better term. Um, And so if you're to look at these numbers and then just look at the battle space, essentially, and wonder why that there are, there's such a concerted effort to ban a rifle that's used in less murder than blunt objects, way more than knives, um, way, way less than knives. I mean, um, so the next question logically would be why, and what's your, what's your answer to the why? Well, the answer is that uh, two things. One, they tried to ban handguns back in the 70s and 80s. Brady United was called the center to ban handguns, and then they became Handgun Control Inc. Um, and they couldn't get any support for it, and it, it didn't happen. So they shifted their focus now, and it, it goes back to what we were talking about before, like uh, creating this term, assault weapons, which... It has no meaning to the industry, right? Like to you, like to the people who design firearms, that that is a political term. It's not an industry term. It doesn't mean anything. Assault rifle has a meaning, and that's an automatic firearm, but not a semi-automatic. So they've latched onto that. They, they find these high-profile, rare, but still high-profile tragedies, which no one wants to see happen. 
they fixate on that and that becomes their their cause. Um, but I don't see, at least federally, the votes are, I don't think are there to ban modern sporting well, certainly not in the Senate. And I don't think it would be constitutional. That's being litigated now. So, and Heller was very clear, right? Heller was about banning a like, handgun ban in DC. And the court said, you like, even though some handguns are misused in crime, it's still overwhelmingly chosen by law-abiding citizens for self-defense. And so you can't ban handguns just like, because a few people misuse them, right? So, um, so, so the Supreme Court has said you can't ban handguns. So that's kind of off the table. So now the question becomes, well, can you ban rifles? Are they quote unquote arms and are they commonly used? And they try to, the argument now that they make in, in addition to like magazines aren't arms at all, they're just an accessory. Uh, they try to argue that, well, these rifles are, are not commonly used <laughs> for self-defense. Uh, and that, that's, of course, not the test. And the Supreme Court's been very clear on that. You know, hand, even in Hitler, right, people, they, they commonly used handguns. They own them for the purpose of using them for self-defense. It doesn't require you to have pulled the trigger, which is just another ridiculous argument. Um, but they try to make those arguments that you, know, you have to have pulled the trigger. And so increasingly now we're seeing courts just dispatch, you know, dispatch that argument as basically frivolous. Yeah. You know, the court has said typically possessed doesn't mean you know you possess it for for, for self defense. You don't have to actually pull the trigger. And isn't that a good thing, right? Like, yeah. so. Uh, but they just you know they have a political agenda and they are not going to stop. Yeah, that's why it's so important soon, that that so. you're out there and you know organizations like yours are 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 out there fighting fighting this fight um, for all of us. Um, really, because other yeah. everybody that has a, a job not in that in that space is focused on that raising family, raising kids, and they're like, "What just happened in the Supreme Court? What just happened in California? What? Uh, it, oh wow! Now it's going to affect my kids and my grandkids, um, and it's going to change the the fabric of the nation and uh, consolidate more power at the federal level. And it's uh, it's something that we all need to be yeah. um, well aware of. Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's everybody. You got to pay attention, right? I mean, Thomas Jefferson talked about. I mean, democracy only works if you participate and pay attention. So we're distracted by TikTok. We're distracted by TikTok right now. Yeah. And I wrote down a couple other things here. So there are three, over 300 federal gun laws. Is that right? And over 20,000 at the state and local levels. Well, here's more than that. Is I, that? I, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the statistic. You can't even keep track of how many of these things are. Gun laws uh, goes back to like the 70s or something. I, a long time ago, I kind of tried to go all the way back to where that was first used. I, I You couldn't even count them. There's way more than 20,000, right? Every year, states pass more and more but you can't even keep track. You, the Bar Association doesn't even know how many uh, federal laws no, are on the you, books. I, I, have you read a book called um, uh, Three Felonies a Day? Uh, no. It's fantastic. It's uh, it came out oh gosh a while ago, over a decade ago, but it talks about how the average person 
wakes up, has breakfast, oh. drops the kids at school, goes goes to work, comes home, has dinner, tucks the kids in. And in the course of that day, unbeknownst to them, they, they committed, committed three yeah. felonies because uh, there are so many laws on the books that the American Bar Association can't even give you a specific number. That's yeah, incredible. I haven't read the book, but I've heard about it. And yeah, like there are, well, part of that is um, politicians just like to pass laws, say it's a felony, so they sound tough. Uh, and and it's been the um, criminal law has been federalized, right? So you have all of these uh, laws that make things felonies. So yeah, you can like, just, you know, easily... Uh, commit several federal felonies just going about your your daily life. Yeah. That's why I yeah. stay up here. That's why I stay I think up here the, on the top the, of this mountain. <laughs> well, I, I think actually this is going to become an issue in, in the Supreme Court this term. They've taken that case um, uh, where a guy, a, a bad dude, um, got a, they had a misdemeanor or domestic violence restraining order and the court said, well, there's no history of tradition, got appealed and affirmed, and the Department of Justice filed a cert petition with the Supreme Court, and they've taken a case, and they're going to hear argument. But I think, what I think, my guess is, and I just tweeted about this this morning, because it was an article in the Washington Post about, I think the court is going to reverse, this is my guess, just going to reverse and say, no, you, you know, um, there is a history and tradition in the United States going back to the founding of keeping firearms away from dangerous people. You can have somebody, you know, it's charged with a violent crime, you know, can be denied bail. So or uh, conditions put on his bail, one of them could be you can't possess firearms. That's sort So I think that and, and Justice Barrett, she was on the Court of Appeals, wrote a dissent in a case called Cantor, where she said, you know, that simplifying it, but basically that distinction is between dangerous and non-dangerous. Mm. And so, you know, you shouldn't deny fundamental constitutional rights to somebody uh, if they're not dangerous, like the Second Amendment, you know, because they some paperwork crime, right? Even the Gun Control Act itself has felonies that are carved out from being, and they're you know, basically white-collar crimes, carved out in, in federal prohibition on the gun Act doesn't apply if you're convicted of one of those. So I think the distinction they will make, I think, is, you know, dangerous versus non-dangerous. And it's less about whether it's felony or misdemeanor because you have all of these felonies, um, you know, you can be convicted of for like paperwork stuff, like, you know, yeah. you know, you inappropriately got food stamps or something from a federal program. You're convicted of a felony. Now you're, you lose your Second Amendment rights for life, right? Wow. Like, so you're not dangerous, right? And you still have self-defense needs. And so I think that's, I expect that's where that case is headed. Yeah. So a lot of people are pulling their hair out that, oh my God, they're, they're going to allow people who beat their wives, you know, <laughs> to have yeah. guns. And I don't, I, I just don't, I think the court took the case for that reason. Yeah. And I, my guess is that, Justice Barrett is really the driver there because of her dissent in that case called Cantor huh. in the Seventh Circuit back in 2019 when she went on the court. Have you tried the Jack Carr Hooten Young Warrior Proof Whiskey? If not, I highly recommend it. If you don't know Hooten Young, check them out at hootenyoung.com. It was started by Norm Hooten and Tim Young and born of a love of whiskey and cigars. 
If Norm Hooten sounds familiar, it may be because you recognize the name from the film Black Hawk Down, where Delta Force operator Hoot was portrayed by Eric Bana. You might have caught two references to Hooten Young in the Terminal List Amazon Prime video series. It's the whiskey James Reese and Boozer are drinking in episode one. You can't fake aged whiskey. My Jack Carr Hooten Young collaboration has aged 16 years. It's 125 proof and bottled straight from the barrel. This Jack Carr warrior-proof American whiskey turned out better than I could have possibly imagined. As Norm says, Hooten Young was created to help folks slow down, bond with the people around them, and remember those who are no longer here. Go to hootenyoung.com and get your hands on a bottle today. That's H-O-O-T-E-N-Y-O-U-N-G.com. The, uh, I, I picked up, um, in order in, uh, in preparation for the Malcolm Gladwell podcast, uh, I pulled off my shelf, uh, one of John Lott's books where he goes through, um, specifically the repeated essentially talking points. And, and it's, it's amazing, not just this issue, but across the board. And of course the old adage, you know, you repeat a, a lie enough times it becomes truth. Um, yes. and he goes through those, those statements by people who just, repeat them, but that have platforms, whether they're an anchor on a, a news channel or, or whatever, um, about, uh, other countries and how there are, there's no, there's no violence over there. Cause they're, cause the guns are illegal. And he goes through and he's those boom, boom, all these European countries that are cited as so safe, uh, specifically from gun people using guns because they're illegal. And he goes through and just, yeah. here's their numbers. And he puts them right out there. So I had those all highlighted ready for the Malcolm Gladwell thing just in case because it does get repeated so often. And then you go back and you oh, read yeah. these and you're like, oh, I think I remember that. That was in the news. Oh, yeah. How many people died or that many people died in this country? But they're they're not supposed to have guns over there. But it just it's yeah. it's not something that is um, it, it's not common knowledge because the lie or misinformation or whatever it might the ignorant statements um, are just repeated so often. That you say, oh yeah, we got to do it. Oh, yeah. You know, whatever country country X does over there, not realizing that country X has a much worse problem than than here. And uh, what did I write down for for that? Um, that uh, U.S. has the most guns, I think, per capita in the world, but ranks thirtieth in gun related yep. homicides. Um, and then ninety five percent of murders in Chicago are with handguns. Yet the focus is on banning this certain rifle. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's just amazing when you really dig down into it. And I just, you know, Professor you know, Lott does uh, tremendous work. He's also, uh, Professor Kleck has done great work on like defensive gun uses. And there's another book out there now, uh, and, and we have a, a website or certainly a, a Twitter account called gun facts. Mm. Uh, and, uh, the, the guy really does a great job just going through data. He's kind of a data scientist guy, but like, you know, putting the lie to all of these statistics coming out from the other side. So if you, I'll, I'll send you the information in the book. It's, it's worth reading and yeah. or just following his uh, Twitter gun facts. Yeah. He does a really good job. I, I've come to start relying upon it. Information. Yeah. He really gets into the, into the data and, demonstrates it's not what the other side says um, yeah and they have you know whether it's purposeful or just lazy you know their talking points get repeated in the mainstream media over and over, and over. yeah it's so hard to kind of break through 
you know, get your message across. Yeah, I mean, it's very emotional as well. Um, but my hope would be that uh, instead of being distracted by or manipulated by different uh, platforms or entities or, or organization, that citizens could look at an issue, study that issue, study that history, and then come to the whatever conclusion they they might might come to and then vote for whoever they they want to represent those uh, those ideas in state local federal levels um, but if you still if you studied this issue and still think that it is a good idea to give up one of the most effective means to defend your life and the lives of your spouse and kids and want if, if you if you honestly look at this issue and come to that conclusion I guess but isn't it odd that those same people you're giving up this, this right to are surrounded by people with firearms? It's just, yeah. it's, it's tough. It's, it's, I just, I, it's, but, but people are easily manipulated and all these platforms allow yeah. that to allow for that manipulation. If you're not aware of it, anything I look at, I, my first question is how is this, this, uh, this statement, this article, this tweet, whatever it might be, uh, how's it, what, how does it want to manipulate me? Okay. Now I'll yeah, look at it. Critical that thinking, right? Yeah, that, that's important. something that we're not teaching. Um, Those same kids that we need to protect um, no, in these we're, schools we're are not being taught to think critically or logically. Feelings, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the most important things it's is how to think. How to think, not yes. what to think. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately now I think it's more of the what to think um, when obviously much more helpful if you're going to be a citizen more in a free society. More indoctrination, not education. How to think. And yeah, yeah, it's tough. Wow. Hey, are you hopeful for the, uh, the future, not just for second amendment type issues, but, uh, across the board or, how, or if you're not, how do you, do, I, do you try I, to remain hopeful? hopeful? Yeah. I mean, try to be an optimist. I get it's, it's frustrating and I, you know, um, and I don't really know what all the solutions are, but I have to remain hopeful. Our country has been through dark times, uh, you know, as bad as crime is and the murder rate now, I mean, it was worse in the 90s during the crack epidemic. Mm. You know, murders were higher, so not that we want to break that record, of course, but um, so I, I think, you know, things ebb and flow. I, I think the public, this will be an important election, I think, for the future, um, but there is a, there's a lot of disagreement in this country, and I think going back to point you made earlier, people need to learn how to disagree but not be disagreeable, mm -hmm. how to have a civilized conversation, you know, to, to make your your arguments using facts and evidence and try to persuade. And unfortunately that you don't see enough of that. I think social media has been unhelpful to having a, you know, a dialogue, particularly when people can sort of just have a uh, you know, silly Twitter name or whatever, mm -hmm. just say outrageous things, you know, toss bombs and, you know, that's, that's just not helpful. But, um, you know, I, I have this conversation with my wife every once in a while. She says, oh, this is so bad. I go, you know, it's, yeah, it's not good. But if you go back and look at some of the political discourse back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, you know, it was worse like mm. than we see now. It's just you know, there's more of it because of mass media. But um, the you know, the attacks on the political opponents were, were even nastier than they are now. It's not to say what's going on now is good. It's not. Um, but hopefully um, some leadership will emerge. 
on really both sides of the aisle and turn the temperature down so people mm. can have rational conversations. I mean, I, you know, yeah, it, it's frustrating for us. To, you know, we're, we're always positioned as the enemy, blood on our hands. We don't care when it's just nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, you know, people in the industry care very much. And you know, if we've got a number of programs, we mentioned some of them. Uh, you know, we, we kind of put them under the banner of real solutions for safer communities, yeah. trying to push that message, you know, to, um, you know, opinion makers, public policy decision makers. We don't have the ability to run, you know, not Coca-Cola. We can't run a national ad. We can't buy an ad on the Super Bowl. You know, yeah. here. even if we could afford it, they, yeah. they wouldn't let us run an ad. Right. Yeah. So, but, you know, trying to get the message across saying, hey, you know, there is common ground and people should focus on where you can find common ground, you know, and, uh, but you know, that's, you, you can, you can reach common ground without surrendering your principles, core beliefs, right? We're never going to surrender the second amendment, but like, are there things that people can work towards like better school security, like more mental health resources to address these problems, you know, yeah, those seems those seem like uh, some basics right there. Uh, but yeah, for whatever like, whatever reason, we, we do not want to. We might no, want to, but we don't protect our most valuable resource, so that are also also our softest targets. I yeah. just it drives me absolutely. I mean, it's so frustrating. But who's that division when we talk about division of a citizenry? Um, who's that benefit? Well, it benefits politicians who want to solidify bases and uh, run campaigns and raise funds, and it benefits these oh. social media companies that get you get you clicking and can um, manipulate your mm -hmm. behavior and thoughts. So. I think the awareness of those things is uh, at the base level important and part of that critical yeah. thinking, recognize that you're being manipulated and recognize who division benefits. And it's certainly not us. It is certainly not us. So I try to remain hopeful as well, but uh, it's, it's very difficult. Sometimes, especially at the, at the end of the day, you know, pouring that glass of wine with my wife. Keep the faith, the brother. I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, but yeah, just try to be thoughtful about things, and uh, you know, do the do the the best I can. And and uh, what else can we really What else can we really do? This, you know, it it, uh, it it comes down to being a good parent, engaging with your children, talking to them, you know, so they grow up and have these critical thinking skills. It's you know, everything from one of the things I think that came out of COVID was, you know, kids were home doing like online learning. Parents got to see what they were being fed and said, what the heck is this? You know, and then you saw that surge of people showing up at school, uh, school meetings saying, oh, no, 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 no. We're not having any of this. Yeah, right? those and videos then, are out, are incredible. Those videos that come out of those school board meetings. I mean, it just goes yeah, to show, if nothing like, else, it goes to show how important it is to engage at the local level. Um, and it's absolutely. tough if you're out there with a job and you're providing for a family and you're building a business and you have employees that yeah. depend on you, and then you're going to run for a school board. But it is so important. And I think those videos that come out of parents going yeah. in front and getting shut down in front of school boards, shouted down by people who are supposed to give yeah. them the time to speak, having security escort them out. Uh, it's uh, that's pretty eye opening. And I, I hope it it encourages people to get involved at the local level or in some way, shape or form. Chilling when the FBI uh, 
starts looking into these parents as like, you know, domestic terrorists. And that yeah. is very chilling. And that goes back um, to how many laws are on the books because it is so difficult to figure out. Just now we're figuring out taxes when you have merch in 50 right. states, 30 countries, whatever we have. Um, and then if you're going to film in different countries and different states, right. all the... I mean, you have to, you definitely have to hire someone to do that. And it's very expensive to right. get someone to make sure that everything is lined up so that the IRS comes, boom, it's right here. And that is their only job yeah. to make sure that that stuff is, is, uh, all that you're, you're abiding by every single laws that change every year in every state right. and federally. So it is, but once again, come back to that question, why? And well, well, perhaps so that you can be targeted and you can't because you can walk it because all these things change. It makes it much easier if you're changing these laws every year that are hard enough to keep up with anyway, um, very expensive to keep up with anyway, if you want to make sure you're doing it right. Uh, well, now, oh, look at this. You missed, you, you didn't dot this eye. Guess what? Felony, misdemeanor, whatever it might be. Uh, it just allows you to be targeted more. Jack, it sounds like you're about to run for office. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> I think I'm gonna. It's <laughs> a hard no. That is that's the easiest question I get asked, and uh, I've gotten uh, a few phone calls on that over the past few months, especially with Romney not running here in in Utah. The, yeah, the phone yeah. rang a few times, but uh, you know I'll just do what I can. Uh, I think uh, you can ha you can still have a voice, and I can do these things and and be myself, yeah. and and uh, it, by doing what I'm doing now as a as an author, and and uh, yeah. that. I think I'd be more effective. And plus I don't operate well in that middle zone. Like I, I can do this yeah. and then yeah. I can do the stuff downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan. The middle part, the politics side, I will not be, I, I it's important to know your, no. know your strengths and know your limitations. And I am very aware of right. mine. I would not do well in those uh, situations, especially when I watch uh, some of these arguments in, uh, in Congress, I'm like, Oh my goodness. I, I just wouldn't, it's not my battle space. It's your so, brain hurt at me. times. <laughs> yeah. Call me when you need. No, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do, I, you know, I'll do what I can as a citizen. Um, and, uh, yeah. without, without running for office, I think that's probably, uh, well, as you, you know, it's, it's the rise of the administrative state. I mean, you know, all of these laws and regulations just burden somebody from you know, starting a business, running a business, growing a business, employing people, creating wealth, yeah. you know, and then in the end paying more taxes, it's, uh, it's Kafka-esque, you know, like it's wild pull your hair out. Like yeah. it's just, you know, it's daunting. It's exhausting. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all, it is all of those things, no doubt about it. But, uh, like I said, try to remain hopeful and man, I thank you for taking all this time today. It's, it, it's, uh, it's so great to see. I know we wanted to do it in person because you pass through park city every now and again, and we get to link yeah, up yeah, and pass through yeah. and that's always fun. The um, last time I saw you in person was in park city at dinner. And the very next day I broke my leg skiing. Oh, jeez. Oh, I forgot you. Yeah. Oh my God. Gosh, that was yeah. we were with Nick, right? We were with uh, with old yes. uh, Seifert. Yeah. Yep, yep, Athlon Outdoors. Yeah. So uh, hanging out together over there, eating some wild game at Nick's place. Um, That's but right. uh, hopefully we can do that again soon. How's the leg? Are you ready to get back on the planks and hit the mountain? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, you know, I was out of commission for a little while, but I was back skiing uh, last year and a little bit the year before. So yeah. So, good, good, yeah. good. Well, and I'm, I'm planning a trip right now. My uh, to uh, we're going to go to Steamboat because okay. I have a 
one of my kids is uh, spending the winter in Steamboat. Oh, nice, awesome, awesome. I've never skied there, but uh, we got when you're in Park City and you have kids and they're on teams and all that stuff. It's hard to leave this place and go to other places yeah. to ski, but um, eventually we'll we'll branch out and. Uh, start well, so I places. heard you mention I I can't remember who you you mentioned that your kids are ski racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so my kids are ski racers. In fact, my youngest daughter. Uh, raced in college nice very cool yeah so she just graduated so yeah well we're in the place for it i mean we're skiing in the... has been a big part of our life uh so great i mean it's uh you can't throw a rock around here without hitting an olympic athlete of uh of some kind and yep. it's just uh it, it draws your high altitude training we have great places to ski great facilities we have a woodward down the street you have that uh utah olympic park which is amazing if people yep. flying off jumps into the pool that has those you know uh those aerators in it so it, anyway it's just it's an yeah. it's an incredible spot for that. So, um, but I try to get the kids out so that they realize that the world is not Coronado, California, or Park City, Utah. Yeah. There's uh, <laughs> there right. are other places out there, and we're very fortunate to be uh, to be where we where we are. So, um, I guess yeah. that's important as well. Hey, I, I can't go without mentioning that's a really nice shotgun. You hey, that's here. right. We got that together. <laughs> That's, that's right. Yeah, that was amazing out in New Hampshire. But remember, I was just looking at that right. on the wall. And uh, luckily, I mean, it's a Parker for those wondering. Yes, um, luckily, a real Parker. Luckily, it has a crack stock because if it didn't, it would uh, be out of uh, my price range. But yeah, Damascus barrels. And I want to take it on a hunt. I want to take it uh, take it on like like one hunt and then put it back yeah. up here and preserve it. But I want to take, I think the stock will handle it um, with those low velocity loads, you know. Um, so get those yeah, in there. Yeah. They make loads for for old shotguns like this, some specialty. Yep. specialty uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful shotgun. It is really cool. Um, but yeah, we got that together. Well, next, next time you're in, uh, if you make it to New Hampshire, uh, let me know. We'll, we'll uh, go uh, do some bird hunting. You've been back there since we were there, right? We were there with Katie Pavlich. Oh, was yeah. there. Oh, we yeah. Had I'm a, I'm there. a, so a member. Yeah. That's a good I, spot. Actually, the, it is. And uh, it's, it's uh, even bigger now. He's got more property. But that was the very first, uh, the, the owner's my best friend. So um, I was the very first member of the club. So Oh, wow. Wow. And I forget yeah, exactly. I was just yeah. staring at this on the wall. And then he walked up next to me, right? And was like, uh, you like that? And I said, oh, yeah, it's beautiful. And he's like, well, take it down. And I yeah. took it down and was looking at he it. He got like, it from a member. Yeah. He's like, it's for sale. And my, and, yeah. yeah. I'm like, for sale. Well, I was like. And well, we were talking and I, I have some pictures of you looking at the gun on the couch yep and yep. i was like it, it's the real deal it's an actual parker and yeah like and i don't i can't remember what you paid for it if i ever knew well it's not. it's certainly nothing parker, near what it would be deal. i got a great deal and oh, it's, yeah. uh, but because of that crack stock on the other side it's uh but it's yeah. but it, it's yeah. it, it, it you know it's, it's patched up and looks looks pretty solid so i guess i'll find out yeah. when i actually uh shoot it but uh but yeah it was very cool that was really cool to pick that up and that was a great time we had an amazing time out there so, so beautiful yeah. such a beautiful spot and the food was amazing i mean that was a great yes. day that was so much yeah. fun so much fun but uh yeah it's uh man hopefully we can do it again soon and and hopefully i'll see you at shot um i don't think it's going to happen this january just because there's some other things on the uh that uh on the schedule but uh i will be back as soon as i possibly can and uh mostly well, I just i'm out in park back. city i'll ring you up but uh Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for what you do and for everybody uh, at NSSF. Um, please pass along my best and, uh, and thank them for me for, for holding the line for, for all of us. Well, thank you for uh, your service and thank you for what you do. Uh, 
keep writing. I'm Can't on. wait to hear what the title of number seven is. Oh, it's so. coming out here. It should be, but by the time this podcast yeah. drops, it will probably have, have dropped. So it's, uh, it's coming soon, but, uh, yeah, I'll be back to, to writing. So here's the problem today. with your books is every time a new one comes out, I feel like I have to go back and read them all again. Like, so <laughs> I, I like the connective like, tissue. I, I, I was always a yeah, fan of that. Like, you gotta back go in... back. It's like, <laughs> I want to watch a video recap before I start the next one. Yeah. A lot of people do that. A lot of people start reading them all or listening them all again. And, uh, it was just natural yeah. for me to do that. I think it's, uh, my publisher would like oh, me to great. always say you all stand alone, pick them up and start wherever. But really it's a, it's a richer read experience if you read them from the beginning but uh, i always like the connective tissue in tv shows as a kid uh -huh. in the 80s so the magnum episodes that connected not necessarily yeah. a one-parter two-parter but ones that spanned seasons or that spanned episodes yeah. in a season like episode one something's mentioned or something happens and then episode six or 12 there's connective tissue between those two that you only really get like you make it through the episode and it's wonderful yeah. but if you've seen that other one it's even richer because you have that backstory yes and so i well, I, I love like the, i like with the, the end of the book it's like okay now what's it gonna do next what's coming next like yep. trying to figure it out you well know, i'll like, be figuring it out as soon as this podcast is over i'll get back at it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I better let you go. Oh, you know. man. Oh, well, no, thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, take care out yes. there. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah, well, let me know if you're going to make it to shot. If not, uh, let's figure out another time. Sounds great. Take Maybe care. With you. I've been a fan of Black Rifle Coffee Company since their inception. I love when veterans leave the military and pursue their passion. In this case, coffee. The coffee is fantastic. And as an added benefit, the company is built on quality, patriotism, and giving back to the veteran and first responder communities. I've been a subscriber to the BRCC Coffee Club for years and love it. My favorite is Silencer Smooth. It gets delivered every single month. The Black Rifle Coffee Club. Being part of the club gives you the power to elevate your coffee experience to the next level. The Black Rifle Coffee Club puts you in the driver's seat. You pick the texture and the roast you want the frequency you want it delivered, and the quantity. You get to completely personalize your club orders, ensuring that your favorite coffee is sent to your door exactly how you want it, when you want it. Right now, Black Rifle Coffee is offering an exclusive opportunity for new coffee club members. Join today and enjoy 30% off your first order when you use the discount code DANGERCLOSE at checkout. That's right, 30% off just for being a part of our growing coffee community. Remember to use the discount code DANGERCLOSE at checkout. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Larry Keene, be sure and follow him on Twitter at L-K-E-A-N-E. -E. And to find out more about the NSSF, go to NSSF.com. Dot org. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA. Officialjackcar.com is the website. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner for the merch. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting.